0: Periodically, there are different phrases that, uh, that I use in messages that resonate with people and little did I know that last week there was going to be one phrase that I used that resonated with quite a few people and, and when they come up and it's different people coming up and telling me about this one phrase, I realize that I struck a chord with something and, and trust me, there are plenty of phrases that I've said that I'm grateful that you did not remember over the course of my time here. But this one phrase that uh, I said last week was this, when God is on the move, change is inevitable. And that's so true. And we see that all the time in Advent. And that phrase, it it resonated with people. and, And when God is on the move, change is inevitable. It just is. And that change involves hope. And any type of biblical hope, is as certain as the sun rising in the east as it it sets in the west. When God is on the move, change is inevitable, and hope finds its way into our lives. When God is on the move, change is inevitable. That change involves a love that breaks down barriers, that sacrifices for others, and seeks to serve rather than being served. When God is on the move, change is inevitable, and love makes an impact that changes the course of history. When God is on the move, change is inevitable. That change always involves joy. And one quickly realizes that joy is different than happiness, and joy can be experienced in the midst of all the trials that happen in our lives. When God is on the move, change is inevitable. And joy breaks into our lives in amazing ways. When God is on the move, change is inevitable. And and that change that God brings also includes peace. And that's what we're talking about today. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. You heard Marcus speak from from Philippians chapter 4 about that peace. And it's a peace for which everyone longs for, yet so few ever find. It's a peace that everyone longs for, yet it is so fleeting. And I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, or scroll there on your phone if you're looking, if you're wondering where it is in the Bibles that are in the rack in front of you, it's on page 567. But in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah deals with this issue of peace, and, and it's not the stereotypical passage that we look at uh, for peace when we're looking at the prophecies in Isaiah, but yet, these few verses speak abundantly about God's peace and what happens. So we pick it up in verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Father, we would ask now, as we come into this time of looking at your word, we've sung different songs about the peace that you bring, the fact that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us, the fact that it was a silent night, fact that you are an amazing God with this abundant love. And we pray now as we come into this passage that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we could see what peace looks like, that you would open our ears so that we could hear that message of peace that you proclaim all the time, that you would open our minds that we would understand more fully what it means to be people of peace in a world that is so tumultuous. And that you would open our hearts, that we would be transformed by the amazing peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, may you be the one who receives all praise and glory. And may no one hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you desire them to hear, that you need them to hear. So that we may be the people you desire us to be. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Those words are there. Chapter 2, those words are there, and, and it's tempting for us to look at those words and say, they're really not that significant. And there are plenty of places in God's Word where we come to places like this where we sit there and think it's really not that significant, but one of the things that we need to realize is that these words are there for a reason. They are significant. And we will come to understand this as we continue walking through Isaiah chapter 2, is this about peace, is that peace always flips the script. If you were to read through Isaiah chapter 1, you would be struck by every harsh reality that God's people were experiencing at that time. I mean, it's just one after another, after another, after another. And just to give you an example, listen to what it says. Listen to what Isaiah wrote in in chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to this. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Now listen, I'm not a doctor, but I know this, that if you have no soundness, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, you're not in very good shape. That's just all there is to it. And what Isaiah is pointing to and what God is pointing to is there is no soundness among any of you. Nothing is good. The Assyrians continue, the Assyrians continue to gather in strength and power. And so as you read through chapter 1, you're thinking, this is going to not go well at all. And frankly, a few years down the road, these prophecies that we see in Isaiah's, in, in Isaiah's book, we see those come to fruition through the Assyrians. It was bad news. And so we're expecting that theme to continue on as we enter into chapter 2. But I, Isaiah says, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It is to alert us to something that when things look bleak, and trust me, they look really bleak in chapter 1. God is not done. There's always another chapter. Because God always has the final word. God always has the final word. Even when things look bleak in our lives, that's not the last call. Because God's not done. God's not done at all. You see, peace always flips the script. We want to assume that everything's going to continue to be bleak, but when peace gets involved, when God's peace gets involved, it changes everything. It flips the script. And all of us have been around long enough to know this, that when it's bleak, it's hard to believe that there's peace. But yet, Isaiah points to this truth, that peace can be a reality when the Lord is in view. It can really be a reality, not some concept that's, that's, that's out there. It can be a reality that we can experience together. And this view, this view that all of us have during this time, oftentimes, though, gets muddied. It oftentimes gets blurred. It gets blurred because we have family get-togethers. We have work get-togethers. We have Hallmark Christmas movies. There's shopping. And of course, there's football. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those items except for maybe Hallmark Christmas movies because they're the most predictable movies out there on the planet right now. As you can see, I have an issue with Hallmark Christmas movies. It causes many interesting discussions at our house as Don wears her Hallmark Christmas movie sweater while she's watching Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> Your applause has been duly noted. And uh, But my point is, none of those things are necessarily bad. But when we forget to view God in the midst of all that's going on around us, peace is fleeting. As a matter of fact, if we look at any of those things, which none of them are really bad at all, if we decide to focus our energies entirely on those things, peace won't happen at all. It just doesn't happen. And so Isaiah begins to help us shift our focus away from this bleakness and shift our focus to a view that involves God, and we pick it up in verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. So peace flips the script. And then as Isaiah begins to point this out, peace flips the script because peace also understands the one rule of real estate. And that one rule of real estate is this location, location, location. For Isaiah, that peace resides in God's presence. That's the location. That's the location of God's peace. He wants the people to know that this, that this idea, this, this, this presence of God is so powerful that he brings about peace. But notice what he does before this. In verse 2 he says this, in the last days. Now what I'm about to tell you is really important and it helps us, helps us understand <clears throat> what's going on here. Because our view of the future is radically different, the way we view the future is radically different than the way the Hebrews viewed future, and it's going to come up on the screen right now. So it says this, here's this quote, the Hebrews did not face the future as we do. Rather, they faced the past and backed into the future. So the past was before them and the future behind them. Now let's unpack that just a little bit. It's an important distinction for us because when we look to the future, when we look to the future, we spend an inordinate amount of time making all types of plans, an inordinate amount of time. We load them into our calendars on our phone. We make sure that everything's going to line up just perfectly. If we have multiple meetings in that day, we plan it out in such a way that we have enough cushion to get from one meeting to the next. We do this all the time. And hear me on this, there's nothing wrong with planning. There really isn't. There's nothing wrong with planning at all. But there is something wrong when we exclude God from the plans that we have. For the Hebrews, for God's people, they were able to, and and they're constantly told this, keep in mind that God has not let you down in the past. And as you read through your Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, this Hebrew view of the future, that they're constantly, that the Hebrews did not face the future, but they faced the past, it makes a whole lot of sense. Let me give you some examples. Every book in the Old Testament refers back to the Exodus. There are four different festivals that the Jewish people celebrated throughout the year, and every one of those Jewish festivals was to celebrate God's faithfulness over the course of their lives. As as God's people face various conflicts that came up to them over and over again, they're told, yes, they're told God is with you, but they're also said, remember how God has worked in the past. And this view of the future, this this way of looking at the, viewing the past and backing into the future, it's consistent in the New Testament as well. The apostles question Jesus Christ about, hey, when are you coming back? When is all this going to happen? And Jesus says, it's not for you or me to know, it's only for the Father to know. And then he says this, and his advice to his people about the future is this, for his return is this, be ready. You don't know when it's coming, but I'm coming back and you need to be ready. And in the book of James, if you want to go that far, in the book of James, James reminds the people, listen, if you're going to make plans, keep in mind, it's God's will that these things happen or these things don't happen. So as we view this, as we view this passage in Isaiah right now, and he talks about the last days, we sit there and think that they're looking this way, but yet he's saying, no, you need to remember what's happened in the past because that's going to carry you through. God's faithfulness is there. He's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful today, and he'll be faithful tomorrow as well. Why? Because he's been faithful. It's just who he is. And so as we continue making plans, as we continue looking forward, we have to keep in mind God's not let us down once, and he's not going to let us down again. Does that make sense? See, the way you view that, it, it, it impacts things. And so then he says this the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be called exalted, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Isaiah points to the location of God's presence. But notice what he does it is being established above all others, which means this is that his authority is greater than all others. How can we experience peace in life, we can experience peace in life when we give him the authority that he deserves? Keep in mind that this mountain, this mountain is higher than all mountains. And what's viewing, what, what, what Isaiah has in view here is the supremacy of God's authority. The Ten Commandments were given on a mountain. It was on a mountain when the prophet Elijah shielded his face when the small still voice came to him outside the cave. It was on a mountain where Jesus was tempted to bow down to Satan, yet Jesus Christ did not bow down because he has all authority. It was on a mountain where Jesus Christ gathered his apostles and told them this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go and make disciples. God's authority gives us peace. God's presence gives us peace in the midst of all of this. And when we truly understand His authority and when we place His authority above all others, peace becomes ours. It becomes something we experience. Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is on His way. That's the name of this series. He is on His way. And when He shows up, He brings that authority, He brings that peace. And notice it has a ripple effect here. This authority, it will be exalted above all the hills, above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. When people see God's authority in our lives producing fruit, they can't help but stream to it. They can't help but say, look at what's going on with God's people. I could go on and on about how tumultuous things are in this country right now. But I won't. You can just simply turn on the TV when you get home and you'll see. But it's tumultuous times. But one of the things that God continues to seem to be motivating me in in life is this. Is that no matter how tumultuous it is getting, it is now becoming a better and better time to represent Jesus Christ because it's so starkly different so distinctly different than what this world has as the tumult, as the tumult rises as tension rises we as God's people get to live in peace and show that there's a peace greater than anything this world offers Yes, we need to continue to pray for our country. We need to continue to pray for the leadership of this country. We need to continue to pray that we will be that peace, those instruments of peace in this very crazy world. And it's a peace that people desperately need at this time. And it's a peace that has a process. Verses four and five. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train train for war anymore. Come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Peace has a process. Peace has a process, and peace is always active. It is never passive. So often we want to think that we can just sit back and and peace will happen. No, it won't. Look closely at this passage. Look closely at verse 4. Listen to these words. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. They won't hear, they won't learn war any longer. Every single one of those phrases has action involved. Peace is active. It's active. And people want that peace. And what Jesus Christ brings is that peace that people are longing for. They're longing for it. And people desire peace, yet people don't know how to gain peace. Outside the UN building, there's this piece of artwork that's outside there. And it's based on the passage that we just looked at. They will beat their swords into plowshares. It's outside the United Nations. This biblical passage right there. So when you enter into the, in, when you enter into the UN building, this is what you pass. And so I went to the United Nations website and I, and I read these words and it's about the purpose. And this is what they put as the purpose of the United Nations. The United Nations came into being in 1945 following the devastation of the Second World War with one central mission, the maintenance of international peace and security. The UN does this by working to prevent conflict, helping parties in conflict make peace, peacekeeping, and creating the conditions to allow peace to hold and flourish. These activities often overlap and should reinforce one another to be effective. People desire peace, but don't know how to gain peace. The United Nations exists for this. There's this desire for peace, and it's difficult to not be impressed with the purpose of the United Nations. That is an impressive purpose statement that they have. Yet, the results... far from perfect out of the almost 200 countries in existence today there are only 11 countries who are not involved in some type of military conflict right now I'm not making a political statement here the statement I'm making is this is that people desire peace They want peace to happen. But yet, listen to me here, yet less than 6% of the countries in this world are not involved in some type of conflict right now, militarily. It may not be happening in their homeland but they're involved in in trying to resolve a military conflict with financial resources or people on the ground militarily, etc. People desire peace, yet gaining peace and maintaining peace are not achieved this side of God's presence. And this is exactly what Isaiah is pointing to. We live in a world that desires peace. We have an organization that exists for the sole purpose of bringing peace. Yet, you just heard the stats. Less than 6% of all countries in this world are not involved in some type of conflict right now. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. That we need someone to bring us peace. We need someone to be actively involved in bringing us peace. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, but now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Because of the Lord's actions. And remember, peace is active, not passive. Because of the Lord's actions, we have peace in Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done. The world continues to try and create all types of peace. And the world tries to do all these different types of things. But it's because of Jesus Christ, we were alienated. Look at this. We were alienated from God and we're enemies. We were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But because of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled because of Jesus Christ. We are reconciled. We were in conflict, but Jesus Christ took action. He's on his way, and when he came, he brought about an action that changes everything and brings peace into this world, brings peace into our lives and because he brings peace into our lives we now those who place their trust in Christ we now become instruments of his peace in this world paul writes these words in second corinthians chapter 5 listen to what he says here so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's on his way. Jesus Christ arrives. He's born in this manger and and he goes through life and all throughout his life he's bringing healing. He's bringing reconciliation. He goes to a cross And on that cross, he pays the ultimate price. Why? Because there needs to be peace between God and humanity. And he provides that sacrifice to bring that peace. Then he rises from the dead. And he exclaims to his people, to his followers, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Paul then runs with this message and Paul comes to this conclusion in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are to be ministers of reconciliation, that we are to bring peace into this broken world, that we have the opportunity to present grace and peace unlike anything this world has ever seen. It's that time of the year where we celebrate Christmas, but it's also that time of the year where peace needs to be proclaimed in many of your family situations. Is it possible that the greatest gift that you could give this Christmas is reconciliation to somebody that you need to be reconciled with I want to walk through some items because I know that we're going to run into, and at least, at least the way it seems, we oftentimes run into people during this time of the year where there's some conflict. And so I want to run through some things real quickly. Because according to what God's Word says, we are to be instruments of peace. We are to be instruments of reconciliation. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about beating their swords into plowshares. We are to take action and be people of peace. And so when these situations arise, and right now I've said this, and some of you already know that there's a person that you're in conflict with. Well, I'm going to give you five things as you seek to be an instrument of reconciliation. The first is this, focus on the problem, not the person. It's so easy to make it personal, isn't it? It's so easy to be accusatory. It's so easy to come at that person and rip into them and completely avoid the problem. But we need, when we focus on what the problem is, we can see a solution coming. So first off, focus on the problem, not the person. The second is douse the flames rather than fan the flames. We're there to bring about resolution. We're there to bring about reconciliation, and as we continue moving towards peace and making peace, please don't throw gasoline on the fire. That's not what we're to be about. We're to be about moving forward and helping the situation. What do I mean by not, not fanning it into flame? I don't, if, if, if you're talking about the issue, keep your focus on the issue, and don't throw in 15 other issues after you resolve that one. We've all been there before, where things were calming down and all of a sudden said, and by the way, I want to also address this, and then it explodes. Third thing, listen and learn. We want so much to make sure that we're heard that oftentimes we forget to listen. And by listening, all of a sudden, perhaps Heidi has a different opinion on something that I do, and it's caused us some conflict. And so I'm going to listen to what Heidi's viewpoint is on this, and we can move from there. But if I'm constantly coming at Heidi with, with my view, my view, my view, and not listening to what's going on within her, I'm missing an opportunity for reconciliation and for, uh, for resolution. Fourth, take responsibility for your for your problem. Take responsibility for what you've done to make this conflict happen. Take that responsibility. Conflict involves two parties, not just one, it involves two. Take the responsibility. Now, I have to do a quick little caveat here. If you are in an abusive situation, your responsibility is to get out. Get out now. If you need to talk to me after the service or talk to one of the elders after the service, please don't be afraid to do that. Your responsibility isn't to be there and continue to take the abuse. Your responsibility is, I need to get out of here. Okay? And then fifthly, live out God's grace and forgive forgive that's what Jesus Christ did for us he he lived it out and he brought that grace and he forgives us and he doesn't he doesn't sit there and say remember 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 he says it's forgiven let's go I've forgiven you remember what I did on the cross I forgave Jesus Christ came into this world not because the world was at peace, but because the world was a mess. And Jesus Christ came into this world and brought about a peace that nobody, nobody saw coming. And because he brought that peace, he will give that peace to everyone who desires that peace that he gives. So I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that this Christmas could be the time for you to give peace to someone that you're at odds with? And it could be the greatest peace they've ever experienced. Because of Jesus Christ I want to invite the band to come back up and get ready. and as they come back up, I want us to res- I want us to, to think through these things. and notice what, what Isaiah says here at the last part of Isaiah chapter 2, verse five. He says this, and it's spot-on. He says this, "Come, descendants of Jacob. let us walk." in the light of Yahweh. That's what he says. Let us walk. Let us take action. Let us be the people that are people of peace. Let us be the people that are sharing that peace with others. Let us be the people this Christmas time, and not just this Christmas time, but all year long. Let us be people who bring about reconciliation because of the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray. As we think through this passage and we reflect on this passage, we pray that you would move in our lives in such a way that we would be those instruments of peace that you desire us to be. And we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being the one who brought a peace that nobody saw coming. And yet, everybody desperately needed. And Lord, during this time of the year, we would ask that you would give us the courage to be peacemakers, to share that great news, to share that great news of peace that you brought to this world. Bring healing into relationships. Give us the words to say. Give us also the ears to listen. And give us a heart to that desires reconciliation rather than turmoil. Work in our midst, Father. Work in our midst. Bring healing, bring peace, and bring your grace. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we